0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Erica Ayat, VP of Customer Success at Privy. In this episode, we talked about the importance of having deep expertise in customer success team and how every customer success manager at Privy has their very own unique superpower. Erica also explains how Privy successfully manages to provide a high touch model feel to their customers at scale. Erica also shares the tactics she uses to grab her customers' attention when sharing helpful advice. How customer success, product, and marketing collaborate and share responsibility around customer communication to avoid bombarding customers. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on Andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. saw these these't just gun for revenue in the door this is churn.Fm the podcast for subscription economy pros each week we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth
1: how do you build a habit-forming product we crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn if
0: you need to invest
1: in customer success it always comes down to, to retention and engagement
0: completely bootstrap profitable and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Erica, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Nice to be here.
0: It's great to have you. Uh, For the listeners, Erica is the VP of Customer Success at Privy. Privy provides website conversion, market, email marketing, and messaging tools for small brands to sell more online. They have over 500,000 businesses from 180 plus countries and have generated more than $3.9 billion in sales with Privy. Prior to Privy, Erica was the Director of Customer Success Strategy at Curada, a Customer Success Executive at Hootsuite, and a Senior Social Media Marketing Manager at Constant Contact. So, my first question for Eric is how has your background in marketing helped with your role in customer success?
1: Oh my goodness. I, I think it's helped immensely. And that's because I have my roles in customer success have been at marketing Martech oriented or e-commerce oriented companies. And and that's actually how I got the job at Hootsuite is that I was a customer. I was able to use the tool very well and explain to others how to you know be successful from both a strategic and a technical perspective. I had been one of their very first enterprise customers. And after doing that for a number of years, they asked me to, hey, do you want to come on over and, and help us Help us sell this, or be on, on the uh, the CS side. It was really my gateway into CS, and that's something that has that philosophy of domain expertise is something that I feel really strongly about when hiring CSMs for my team or, or other roles in the CS organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is a common theme I've noticed on the show as well, specifically from those breaking out from other sectors and moving into customer success. Typically. They were a previous client of the product that they joined. They had really strong domain expertise uh, for the product Mm and service. And it was a natural and easy move for them then to get into sort of helping customers mm-hmm. be successful with their product or service when they themselves had already been successful with the product or service. I,
1: I think it just makes CS so much less formulaic because I think we've all, a lot of people have had that experience when your your account manager, your CSM is working with you and you can tell that the uh, strategic recommendations that they're giving you or like the three bullet points that they had on their, their list. And it's not necessarily coming from that place, deep expertise. So I think it just feels a lot more real to the customer and they can there's a deeper sense of empathy. If they can say, Hey, I've been in your shoes or I've done something, or at least even if they haven't done that exact thing, it's something that is uh, at least adjacent and they can more easily apply their knowledge and background to the goals and the challenges that the customer is having.
0: And also empathize as well. At the end of the Mm -hmm. day, I understand Mm -hmm. those challenges a lot better, the pain points. So You mentioned like this is something you take seriously as well, like when you're looking to hire to bring people on the team. Mm -hmm. What does that look like for you? Let's just say, for example, now at Privy, you're hiring, you're trying to bring new CSM. What are some of the expectations you expect uh, new CSMs to have joining the team?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I will start off by saying that I do think it is important to have an open mind. I'm not super rigid about you have to have, you must have these three characteristics because I think you can come to the table with any collection of applicable skills and be successful. But we've had a lot of folks on the team who have been hands-on marketers before. We've had a number of people on the team who actually have run their own e-commerce businesses which is extremely valuable experience. That's direct experience that's related to our customers. Having a background in the ecosystem of tools and how marketing and e-commerce tools work is very helpful. One one person on my team has a strong background in advertising, which might seem like, oh, that's a little bit further afield, but it's not because, again, they understand the ecosystem. They understand how for example, like user identity works. And, and one of the main challenges that a lot of our customers have is driving traffic to their site. And so they have that, that wider background and having that variety of experiences on the team where they're just not all cookie cutter. Actually, I I call it, everyone has their own superpower on the team and we can learn from each other. And that just makes us all stronger when we all, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's because it's one of those interesting things, the customer success role, uh, because in a lot of ways, like it's still a very early industry. It's still the industry. It's still a very like um, new role when relative new When other defined roles like marketing have been around for decades and still like People at the end of the day also trying to figure out what works for them, what doesn't. Like mm. I know, obviously, it also would depend quite a bit on the type of model that you bring into with Your CS is it high touch, is it low touch? Like uh, how you're interacting with your customers. And I know we discussed before the show as well that you have a very low touch, obviously having trying to serve 500,000 businesses, but managed to get good scale. What are some of the skills you're looking for when bringing team members in? dealing with this type of volume of customers and how are the team then expected to serve and work with over 500,000 businesses? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I would say, first of all, with, with a large volume business like ours, it's not a monolithic model. So we do have different types of models. Some of them are lower touch than others. And so the very first thing that we had to do was really segment our customer base and figure out what service offering was appropriate different levels or different tiers of customers. We do have some customers where I would describe it. It is more of a a high touch model. Is it, it, does it look like a a large enterprise engagement? Absolutely not. (laughs) Because we're still working with SMBs at the end of the day, they still get their one-on-one onboarding. They get regular, perhaps monthly calls all the way down the spectrum to um, just responsive support. And we do have a a middle tier where folks will get one-to-one onboarding, but not necessarily have a sustained one-on-one relationship over time. And so just figuring out that was a big part of the early days of figuring out what CS looked like at Privy was figuring out what those tiers were, what the best service offering was that was going to, that that made sense for us financially, but also provided the maximum value to the customer. And that can continue to to change around the edges over time in terms of defining what that is. And I think- Oh,
0: sorry. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I just want to jump in quickly and ask you like, what were some of those criteria that you set Mm. to set the levels? I think because starting out, like it can be a little bit daunting. Like how do you get these segments in place? How do you ensure that you are distributing the right resources to make sure you're measuring the ROI at the end of it? What did that look like? What were they?
1: Yeah, yeah. So in terms of where we started, I knew the very first thing that we had to do was to get an excellent support team in place like just get responsive down responsive and then also self-serve resources because our customer base was so large so those were that was step 1 and closely mm-hmm. <laughs> step 2
0: putting out the fires um, like,
1: exactly exactly because yeah. and then once we got that in place then we could figure out that tiering mm-hmm. and to start off to to answer your question directly it was it was it was not super elegant it basically was like if you're paying if, if you're paying us more money, then we'll give you more time, essentially. Which is, I think, how a lot of a customer success teams start off, especially when it's early days. You do everything you can to hang on to those, the, those larger clients. I do think it's pretty common to, in some senses, overserve your early large customer base. But so really that a criteria was. MRR or ARR, depending on what level of uh, contract they have. That was number one. (laughs) Number two, I think as we started to look at it, there were a few other factors which allowed us to understand what was a best fit customer for us. And that's the beauty of working at a volume business is that in a sense, we get to choose our customers for the different tiers, right? Like we're not taking on those 500,000. So another indicator for us is... Did they come in? Did they become a customer through a self-serve motion, or did they become a customer through a sales motion, through a salesperson? And we found that folks, the customers who who join Purvi and they've already had a sales conversation or two, are much better positioned because. First of all, they already have a much stronger background in what Privy is, why they're here, why they bought, all that sort of stuff. And so we could get going on delivering value for them almost immediately. That doesn't mean that's impossible for folks who come in through another sort of a sales motion, but it's a lot harder. And and sometimes what can end up happening is that you're actually playing that sales function instead of playing the CS function. Yeah. 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 So there's that. And then in some cases, we, there may be folks, maybe customers who came in through self-serve, but they're showing some really great body language in terms of they're using the product really well or showing the beginnings of using the product really well. And they're very active. And so that's, they're seeing some success. So that's when we might say, oh, you know what? They're getting like a good amount of success on their own. We know we could make them exponentially more successful if we engage them proactively. So there are a number of indicators there too, that we would use to reach out to those types
0: of customers interesting so, <laughs> so just to recap that as well from my understanding as well now you started out in the beginning it was really just putting out the fires setting up support getting some of the automated channels in place uh, to support that next really just rudimentary looking at how much customers were paying you and that was what is how you bucketed uh, your initial customers you then mm-hmm. layered that on top again like with some learnings as well, seeing that people that have gone through your sales motion that had that human touch that had already been prepped for what they were coming into were really good indicators so that you'd be able to spend time and add value to them. And then lastly, looking at different signals and usage patterns within the product to see, okay, how are they doing an engagement on their own that can signal that we can potentially be helping them, as you mentioned as well, like bring in some exponential value as well on top of that. Really interesting progression. I think it's just like a natural progression as well uh, of from what I've heard as well in typical other companies. Like really it's always in the beginning putting those fires out, getting things automated. Have you got any plans to improve upon it now in the future? Are there any ways you're thinking about improving their segmentation? Yeah,
1: that's something that I feel like we review every six to nine months. Being in a scaling, growing business, sometimes your needs can certainly change over time. And so some of the things that we're thinking about is how do we, typically what we've done is figured out how to provide more, if it's not one-to-one, at least one-to-many value further down our customer tier. So how do we do more at the lower end of our price point? One of the things we're trying to figure out now is that there, because there's, if you look at our data, there's a, as you might guess, there's a huge difference in Retention and net growth between customers who go through a human touch cycle, which could mean my team and the sales team, or either or, and folks who who don't. And so we're trying to figure out now how do we stretch that even further. What would a program look like for for folks even further down the the to scale? scale it. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. I could yeah. almost guess like uh, your attention curve probably looks the biggest drop uh, first ninety days, and then you start to see a decent plateau typically like in smb businesses like the biggest hurt is in those first uh, couple of months two three months yeah it might be absolutely. different for you but i'm pretty sure it's the no, same case. got it <laughs> okay. uh, and then i think as well like what would be interesting that you mentioned as well is like how do you scale that low like uh, mm-hmm. higher touch feel but at volume and at scale and you mentioned before the show as well that this is something that you think You've done particularly well at Privy. Maybe you want to elaborate and like how are you doing that? How are you effectively delivering this sort of service and stretching that customer success feel to a wider and larger audience?
1: Yeah, yeah. So first of all, I think it has to do with how the company thinks about customer success and how much value that we place on it. And, And I was just mentioning you can see it in the data, how much more valuable those customers are to us who work with our team. And so it's pretty easy to make the financial, I don't say easy, it's easier to make the financial case to utilize those resources within the company to to drive down that tier. Now, what we do well from a more of a tactical perspective is number one, we hire, we were talking about that earlier, what does the profile of person um, look like? And it's you know, obviously not just the profile person, but how they jive with the team, the expectations, all that sort of stuff. And so that's one of the most difficult things to, to get. And we have done that really as a team. The other thing I would say to go along with that is that we've done really well with employee retention, right? And the folks on my team kind of stick around for a long time, which is really helpful for the longer you're around, the more you know about the product, the better the customers, et cetera. So the more you can teach the rest of the team. So that's one thing. And the other thing that we do is we focus on the folks that we're working with our SMBs and basically they just don't have time for fluff. So we get right into value immediately. These are the three things that are going to help you. And we're working with e-commerce businesses, make more money. Yeah, Right. We're going to help you make more money if you do this. And they do one, two, three, and they're like, Oh, I'm making more money. We're like. Great. Okay. Now here's four, five, six. So it's helpful in that our products are directly related to their sales. And so we can, we have an outsized impact on helping those businesses. If we can help with their, say like conversion rates or open rates or anything like that, from say like an email marketing perspective or a lead capture perspective, a few percentage points here and there is a lot of dollars to them at the end of the day impact decision keeping focus on that impact and be prescriptive
0: i think that's an amazing position to be in as a customer success uh, manager it's not always the case i think where your mm-hmm. product or service can directly be tied back and measured to the value that it delivers and like at the end of this day like they're coming to you to drive more sales like you can literally prove and show the uh, sales coming from your tool or yes. service, like a lot of times products or service might be a little bit indirect, and a lot of times I think they could do work on their pricing strategy because ultimately you really want to be trying to mm-hmm. keep it closely aligned with your pricing and packaging, but it's a beautiful thing when you can actually do that. This actually was something we chatted about uh, with Heidi Gibson from GoDaddy mm-hmm. on the show, mm-hmm. and they had a really interesting story where uh, they were working on a website builder. And one of the things they were trying to figure out what was their metrics for success? What mm-hmm. are they going to be looking at as the input metric that was going to drive retention? And the interesting thing they realized as well was that people, they just came to the realization that people come to them to build a website, but it's not to build a website, it's to drive more sales, it's to get more bookings, it's to sell more tickets, whatever that service is.
1: What is the vehicle?
0: Yes. <laughs> uh, and they were fortunate in the position that they had those metrics at hand. So if there was an e-commerce store, they could see the sales that were going through. If it was mm-hmm. a hairdressing salon, they could see the bookings being made. And then they started working backwards and said, okay, like the most successful websites on our site and most sales that they're doing have social channels connected. That was mm-hmm. one indicator. So First thing they did was start driving people to sessions. But really interesting, like when you are able to articulate and measure the actual value you're delivering a your customer, then it makes it so much easier to develop the strategies that you're going to work on and help them. You mentioned right. a couple of things. Do you have playbooks in place, like uh, with your CSMs, like when they go to call customers?
1: Yes, yes. And so we basically have a, I would call it a flexible playbook because the the needs of every customer, of course, are a little bit different. However a lot of most e-commerce customers have a couple of things uh, in common. And so there are some foundational work that we suggest and emphasize to, to our customers. And it's really a journey, right? Like it's like at the beautiful basics, once we get that in place, then it's like, all right, what else do you want to do on top of that? Because like we focus on the most high impact things and that's probably between two and four different types of, um, of campaigns, both on-site campaigns and email marketing. Uh, campaigns. And so we focus on those high value things. And, and sometimes the customer, it, it depends who you get within an organization. Sometimes they're very brand oriented, for example, and they want to take a lot of time with their email design and they want to get into that. And for us, excuse me, one of our uh, watchwords is get it live on the call. We know that if we can get it live on the call, get them going, they're going to start seeing those sales roll in and they're going to start believing right away and we'll get credi- credibility immediately. When it comes to those CS relationships, and this is the, the managed accounts, you have the one-on-one over time for the lifetime of their relationship with us. That's when we have the time and ability to get into some of the more granular strategy, for example. So we'll build on the foundation that we've already you know, created. And we are really good, I would say, especially as our team started to scale, we had to become really good at internal documentation because otherwise it just becomes a crazy nightmare. mess yeah. <laughs> nightmare. Yeah, exactly. And so all of this, as we, you know, learned as an organization, we we're really good about documenting these things from an internal perspective. So whenever a customer has a, a use case that would match one of these strategies or specific campaigns, we're like, all right, we can pull that right up and let's get that in front of you. And we use a lot of those as learnings back to the rest of the organization as well especially the sales team if they're in a sales conversation and someone has a question related to this use case they're like oh yeah like i know i heard the cs team talk about this there's an example let's pull yeah. it right up that's yeah. very cool
0: so you start um, yeah. to use like some of those use cases and uh, put them into other areas of the product and i'm sure and assume as well i'm sure that product changes happen as a result of these as well and you push them into products yeah. too
1: Yes, yes. So we have a very close relationship
0: with our product team. Very cool. So I I, I was interested as well then, like we mentioned, I think Hootsuite a little bit earlier. That was, uh, you're coming from Hootsuite. I think uh, in my mind, they're fairly similar target audiences. Like SMBs typically use the products like, I'm interested between your experience now at Privy and your experience at Hootsuite, two questions. Like one, what is one thing that you found that both businesses had in common when it came to churn and retention? And Mm -hmm. what is one thing that's completely different between the two?
1: Yeah. So I think the one thing that's completely different between the two is that very close alignment to sales. And And you were mentioning that's relatively rare when you can work on a product like that, that's so directly tied to a business's bottom line. And not that the work at Hootsuite wasn't tied to that. There were certainly, you could definitely measure that. It was just a little bit, maybe one more step removed. In terms of the similarities, and and I will just preface this by saying I did work on a, a different segment at Hootsuite, but I think in general, if you think of their large customer base, which is mostly SMBs, it's always time right? When you're an SMB, when you are a small business owner or an entrepreneur, time is always such a huge limitation. And so getting folks or getting your customers to believe that this is the thing that they need to work on when they have a hundred things to work on that day, I think is the, the biggest challenge there. So it's, I guess I would say it's about trust and in, in, in making sure that you have their attention and getting them to believe in what you're, what you're um, advising what, them to
0: do. What are some of your tricks then? Because I totally agree with you on that. It's like focus is the key. And specifically when you've got a ton of other things, like setting up Privy or Hootsuite is probably not top of your list. Like, What are some of the tactics that you've worked on with your uh, teams to try and drive that attention to your audience and uh, get them away? You
1: have have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And so being able to listen and truly understand what your customer values, and not just everyone. And privy, everyone wants to, to to sell more. They want to grow their sales. We know that. But what does that? What are the things around that that the customer values? Do they are they one of those folks who love the design piece, and that's really important to them? So then we can focus more on that. Are they someone? who just wants a list of things to to do and like check off the boxes, great. Are they someone who just wants it so dead simple and don't complicate it and just tell me what to do? And under being able to listen and understand not just what they're trying to do, but what that person values can help build that trust. And again, going back to the domain expertise and having folks who are having these conversations who can directly relate and use that expertise to guide them, that helps to build that trust too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested then as well, like going back to your experience in marketing and now at customer success serving scale. Like in my mind as well, when it comes to the low touch model, trying to scale customer success, a lot of it as well has quite strong overlaps with things like customer lifecycle marketing. Mm-hmm. And yes. how is that function at uh, Privy served? Is it like does it sit in customer success now? Due to the nature of the business, is it crossover between collaboration between marketing and mm-hmm. success? Like, how are you reaching these large audiences and uh, making impact?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So the it's a shared responsibility between CS, product, and marketing, and it depends on the audience that we are reaching out to if it's if the audience is that entirely that self-serve audience and our product team is really concentrating on those folks from a to your point like a a lifestyle life cycle marketing perspective whether that's utilizing in product messaging or whether that's using marketing automation whatever that may be over on the cs side we we really manage those audiences that we're accountable for and so we'll set up in product messaging, will set up some marketing automation in, in concert with our partners in those other organizations. We also utilize, we have two types of marketing automation that we use. One that's more individual to the, to the individual CSM. So they'll have, they can set up their own personal flows that are more likely to end up in the primary inbox. And then we have some other more traditional marketing automation flows that we're sending out through our, our marketing systems that are just targeted to those to those audiences. So yeah, so it's a shared responsibility and it just really depends on the, the targeted audience.
0: Targeted audience. And I'm sure in the beginning, that process uh, took a while to get around to and figure it out and uh, mm. probably it's still fun. is not perfect itself, it but <laughs> it never is. What are some of the things that you'd recommend to teams Teams, like trying to get something in place where they can have this cross team collaboration one to ensure that they're not just overly bombarding customers mm-hmm. with messages and uh, annoying them but then to also having an effective strategy where the customer is getting the best experience and you're able to maximize like the ROI and the time of the team
1: yeah yeah it's a great question so what worked really well for us is having those really definitive boundaries Right, around audience. So if you're owning an audience, then that makes it really clear. And I think that is what prevents the bombarding of too many messages is if you have that clear delineation between you know, the different teams and who they're talking to, first of all. So I think that's really important. And then trusting each other, right? Because the folks on the, the marketing side, it's been a long time since I've been a marketer. So those we know those tools change all the time. And Quite frankly, I've forgotten how to use uh, some of them in in detail. And so we had to certainly ask our our friends over in, in in those roles to help us optimize. And they had some great suggestions around segmentation and messaging and that sort of stuff. And then by the same by the same token, I think like us helping them out with segmentation of certain audiences and what, what to look for to create in that segmentation, what sort of product behaviors, that sort of stuff. So the learnings really go both ways. So having trust to take each other's advice, but then also having clear parameters in terms of who owns what,
0: I think. owns what?
1: Mm-hmm, clear. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that sounds, I think definitely having the parameters in terms of the custom segments and base makes things a lot clearer and it's something that you can... Pretty easily with some good segmentation to begin with set up and have the boundaries, which is great. Cool. I see we're running up on time. So I want to save uh, for two questions, ask every guest. First question is, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now. You Mm -hmm. join a new company, you arrive, Channel retention is not doing good at all. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Erica, we really need to turn things around. We need your help. We have 90 days to make a dent in the number. What would you do with your time? How would you improve uh, retention for the company?
1: So I think the the first thing to do is get as much customer feedback as possible in multiple channels, listening to customer calls, driving, there's a lot of great call recording tools now, deriving data from that. What are the most, are competitors being mentioned? What are the churn reasons, the churn notes? Listening to sales. And so once you learn what the customer is saying, then I think going and listening to sales and understanding is what they're selling, what the customer thinks they're buying and understanding that. And then basically trying to understand if both sides of the house are speaking the same language or if the, sometimes it can happen where the The company thinks that they have built a value around this one thing, but the customer is actually saying it's this really adjacent thing is the thing that's valuable to me. And so making sure that the company is really aligned, they're delivering what the customer wants in a way, what the customer values. And it's amazing to me how often I've seen companies and their customers sort of like talk past each other on that. And so I think it's just, that's usually an alignment issue, I think.
0: Absolutely. We actually had Stelie FT on the show from close dot com. And this mm-hmm. is one of the topics we tatted about in detail in terms of the misalignments for sales. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it comes down to a couple of things. Like one is just bad incentives. So not really having good incentives aligned around retention and just mm-hmm. keeping them around the sales. Sales aren't really bothered about uh, what mm-hmm. deals they close and what they're uh,
1: not the whole other show
0: <laughs> Yeah, whole other one and the other one is confidence actually you mentioned which is interesting is that sales teams might not have the confidence they need to actually say to customers hey you might not be a good fit for us or mm-hmm. uh, turning down the wrong deals or having the ability to do so as well so I definitely I uh, see that's uh, another area where you definitely get a lot of friction and problems uh, coming through. Nice. So, next question I have for you then is: Let's. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career?
1: Oh my goodness! Many one days. thing I wish. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I think one thing that I wish that I knew earlier is that it's not it's to not hyper focus on the larger accounts i think there's always a lot of anxiety around oh my gosh this one we have to because you end up over serving in a way sometimes if it, uh, larger accounts that aren't that best fit let me preface that if you are spending a ton of time basically trying to make a a, a square pe- peg fit in a round hole even if it's a that's a big account like it ends up costing you more in terms of time in terms of attention that you could have been giving to other customers who are better fit and have much more of a chance of sticking around. I think that's also a confidence issue, right? Being confident about, hey, this is the strategy that we're going to take here and our time might be better served doing something else doing something
0: else yeah it's funny i saw something on linkedin yesterday the day before it was just a picture of a leopard that had its paw around the gazelles like your biggest customer yeah. with your csm and like how vulnerable you are but I think that's also it comes down to the organization that you're in as well. And like having the support from leadership is really important. So if that comes from the top down to say, okay, you really need to understand uh, our different customers and at which point they become unprofitable and at which point they become more work than uh, the value that they're delivering to us. And mm-hmm. like you said, not good for customers to begin with. So maybe our tool isn't suited to them either. Like, having that ability to step back and say no and not worry that if you lose that customer, you're going to lose your job. I yeah. think that makes a big difference. So uh, it's good that like yourself pointing that out, like having leadership in place, it really gets that and understands that can actually allow you to do a better job for others that are really going to be successful with your tool or service. Totally
1: agree. Totally agree.
0: Erica, it's been a pleasure having you today. I really enjoyed uh, the chat. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of, how they can keep up to speed with your work?
1: Oh, sure. You can connect with me on on LinkedIn if you'd like. It's just Erica, you should be able to find me. But yeah, no, I think that's it. I had a lovely conversation. Thank you for, for inviting me. This was fun.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Best of luck going forward.